Come on, give it up and welcome all the campuses today. I hope and pray that all of you at all of our campuses just experienced anointed worship like we just experienced. Amen, church. So glad you are here today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, before I turn it over to who's really not a guest anymore, our teaching pastor, uh, I just want to look into the campuses, welcome all of the campuses, and I want to say a special word to uh, the Columbia campus. I'm coming your way, and so I know it's a surprise to you, but I'm going to be passing through Columbia this week and uh, want to invite you out Thursday night at uh, 5.30 p.m., Thursday night, 5.30 p.m. Uh, we're just gonna hang out a little bit. I'm gonna cast some vision, answer some questions. Just really, really excited about what God is doing there in Columbia, South Carolina. This Thursday night, 5.30 p.m. Come on, church, would you celebrate what God's doing in Columbia with me? Great day and season over there. Uh, lastly, um, wanna talk to you about the hurricane relief. And uh, just want to tell you that I'm very, very proud of you as a church. We dodged it, thankfully, praise the Lord. All of our campuses dodged it, but our friends down east, as we like to say, uh, did not dodge it. And uh, we have been pulling together and just want to say great response teams have been working already to mud out homes and help those who have lost everything, including this woman. And her name is Miss Love. What a great name, Miss Love. That's our team right there. Let me tell you a little bit about this picture. Miss Love Whitfield, uh, who lost everything in Florence, including her Bible. Um, and when our team showed up and started serving her, um, they handed her a Bible and they prayed for her. Leah McMillan, who you see in this photo, said, Miss Love told us she had lost her husband years ago and now had lost both of their Bibles along uh, with their most precious belongings. When we gave her this Bible that we all signed, she said she couldn't think of anything else she would rather have. Now, we can easily just move right on, right? And, and think it's over and done with. But guys, they are going to be, we are going to be mudding homes. I don't know how long, but my friend in Houston, Tim Liston, uh, they, they had to do it nine months after Hurricane Harvey, I think it was last year, Harvey. So this is something that we're going to stick with. You might want to go or bring. You might want to what? Go or bring. Let me tell you about this a little bit. All the campuses, take note. You can help out next weekend in two ways. Go or bring. Either sign up, email the church, or, or let somebody know on the staff team at your campus. Join this Saturday going to Jacksonville, North Carolina to mud out homes or by bringing items for the final collection weekend. We loaded up one of the largest trucks we've ever loaded up uh, last week. Maybe you saw it on Twitter. Carolina football. We... we I, I knew some of you would do that. Now, leave that up there for a moment. Um, y'all, Some of y'all thought the kingdom had come when that pulled up at the church this week. Some of you still need Jesus, but I'm just saying. Um, but this is the beauty of competition. Healthy competition is really good. So one of my friends, Rob Marin, who goes to church here, Rob owns Marin's Moving Company. And Rob is a big Duke fan. And when Rob saw that on Twitter, his blood pressure went up. He contacted Duke University, and uh, Marin's Moving Company is partnering with Duke Football and New Hope Church this week to fill up another truck. Come on now. 
So um, listen, again, you can go or bring. If you bring, items needed that will be accepted are, make note, baby items, diapers and wipes, cleaning products, bleach and wipes, toiletries, toothpaste, toothbrushes, toilet paper. There will be more opportunities as the flood recovery continues. So mark um, mark your Connect card in the weeks ahead. Uh, we've already received our offering at all the campuses, so I know the Connect cards are already turned in. But, hey, we can go through a few extra if we want. If you would like to mark a Connect card today, if that's most simple for you, just go ahead and fill out another Connect card. Leave it on your seat when you leave at the end of the day, and the ushers and the greeters will pick those up. But what do you say we keep being the body of Christ for our neighbors down east? What do you say? Y'all ready for the word? At all the other campuses, I'll just say to you today that I said earlier before I got on here, I said um, I could tell that the folks at the Durham campus already saw bro in the house, and uh, he is someone who is deeply beloved here, and uh, we are thrilled to welcome him once again as he preaches the next installment of God Speaks, Learning to Hear His Voice. Will you welcome him? Hey, what's up, New Hope? Great to see you guys. It's always a thrill for me to get to come here. I'm, I'm kind of like that stray dog you fed one time. <laughs> he just keeps showing up on the porch. And, uh, man, I, I love it when, uh, when I see New Hope on my schedule. Such a, such a treat for me. I want to welcome all, all the campuses and all, all of you that might be joining us online as well. Uh, so glad that we get to do this together. It's pretty cool that we do get to do this together. I, I've been... Uh, I've been praying for the whole state of North Carolina over the past few weeks. Uh, this is one of my favorite places in the world. As I've said before, we spent a lot of time uh, vacationing in North Carolina through the years when we were living in Kentucky. And uh, uh, the area that we used to go to all the time got hit really, really hard. And so cool to see people like you rally together and to help each other all over the state. So my prayers have been with you guys. So we, we're in this series where we're talking about hearing God speak. And maybe some of you, when you heard we were going to dive into a series like this, you said, finally, man, I got some big time decisions facing me right now. I would love to hear from God. I would love to know God's plan for my life. I would really love to know that he's leading me. I would give anything if I could just personally hear from God right now. Because maybe you're asking the questions these days, you know, am I at the right school? Am I on the right career track? Should I change jobs or offer me another position? Is that the right position? That position requires that I move to another town. How will I know whether that's the right town or not? If I move to another town, I have to find a new house. And if I move to a new house and a new town, I'll have to find a new church. And how will I know which church is the right church? And I'm not really sure if I even want to take the job and move right now because this relationship I finally got into is with someone I think I kind of like and maybe even kind of love them. But I'm not really sure if they're the right one or the wrong one. Or maybe the one I thought was the wrong one was really the right one. Oh, Oh man, I'm so confused. I just love to hear from God. Well, I can't promise you that we're going to answer your questions today, but I am hoping that you would give God a chance to speak to you today because he does that in a variety of different ways. And for the next few moments, we're going to go to his word, which is one of the primary ways God speaks to us. And we're going to look at the life of a young guy named Joseph who early on in his high school days heard from God in a dream. 
In fact, the whole story revolves around dreams, which is a way I believe God still speaks to us. Now, not in a weird, cryptic kind of where's Waldo kind of way, uh, but I believe God still speaks to us, still plants dreams in our hearts, still gives us a vision for the future, still ignites a passion within us. In fact, over 16 years ago, he put a dream in Benji Kelly's heart to plant a new church in Durham, North Carolina, gave him a vision of a wonderfully diverse and hope dispensing church like this. And then God spoke to some of you and said, you know what? You need to join this movement of hope. And you did. I mean, this, this is a dream come true. And the cool thing is the dream is still unfolding. You, you ever dream at night? How many of you guys dream at night? You, anybody remember their dreams pretty vividly? I don't remember mine really, really well, but I did have one the other night. This is so bizarre. I was working security for Taylor Swift. I have no idea, no idea where that came from. I mean, no, I, and so I, I'm thinking, what, God, what are you, are you trying to teach me? And I, the leadership lesson I took away from that dream is, you know, players gonna play, 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 play. And haters gonna hate, hate. I, I'm, I'm just gonna shake, shake, shake it off, shake it off. Well, I did, I did have a dream the other night, actually, that did make a lot of sense. And I think sometimes God will use a dream to tell us to go do the right thing. I had one of those a while back. There was a guy who, who had dinged me and hurt a whole bunch of other people. And in my very, very vivid dream, I was tenderly hugging this guy as like a long lost brother. It was as if God was trying to say to me, bro, come on, I love this guy. And I will deal with all of his issues. I'm just asking you to love him too. He's your brother. Now, I may be totally wrong, but I think sometimes God will use a dream to bypass our defensive pride, to speak to us about some character issues while we're kind of asleep because we tend to either ignore him, blow him off, or argue with him when we're wide awake. And sometimes, sometimes he gives us a vision of the future. And Joseph, as a 17-year-old guy, gets a pretty clear picture of what his future was going to be like. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And if you've got a Bible, you've got an app that you use, we're going to hang in Genesis chapter 37, the first book of the Old Testament of the Bible. You can just follow along on the screens as well. And we're going to be flying through these chapters. So if you get a shot later on the day, maybe sit down and read the whole story in one, one sitting because it's such a, a cool story. And there are several key principles that I want to highlight out of Joseph's life as it pertains to hearing from God and pursuing the dreams that he plants within you. And I want to give you the very first one before we even jump into the text. And here it is. God's will for your life is much more about who you are than where you go or what you do. God's will for your life is so much more about who you are than where you go or what you do. Now he does have big, big dreams for every one of us. But his primary dream has a lot more to do with who we are becoming as people than it does with here or there, him or her, this job or that job, this school or that school. Not to say he doesn't care about those choices. Not to say he doesn't lead us or give us specific guidance. He absolutely does. But he's much more concerned with the who that we're bringing to wherever he leads us. Now, for Joseph, God had a unique dream for his life. 
And incredibly, as a 17-year-old guy, God lets him in on it. Genesis chapter 37. Now Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day he gave Joseph a special gift, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because of their father's partiality. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Well, one night, Joseph had a dream and promptly reported the details to his brothers, causing them to hate him even more. Listen to this dream, he announced. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. My bundle stood up, and then all your bundles gathered around and bowed before it. So you're going to be our king, are you? His brothers taunted. And they hated him all the more for his dream and what he said. Now we see here in the very beginning that Joseph was his father's favorite. And he'd been given this special treatment and this technicolor dream coat thing that made more than just a fashion statement. It kind of flaunted his dad's partiality in the face of his brothers. I heard about a, a salesman that was going door to door and he knocked on the door of this one house and door swings open. There's a 10 year old kid smoking a huge cigar. And the salesman said, uh, excuse me, is your mother home? He says, what do you think? <laughs> now, here's what I think. I think either mom wasn't home or he was the youngest in the family. Because the youngest in the family gets away with everything, right? How many of you are the youngest in the family? Let's just go ahead and boo these privileged prima donnas right now. No, I'm just, 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 just kidding, just kidding. Now, the fact that Joseph was his dad's favorite wasn't Joseph's fault. Now, there wasn't real great parenting, but you can see why it says his brothers just, his brothers couldn't stand him. And can you imagine, can you imagine just walking into the family room one day and saying, excuse me, everybody, everybody listen up. I got an announcement to make. I got a word from God. Now, I don't have all the details, but this much is pretty clear. Everybody in this family is going to serve me. In fact, you're all going to bow down before me. Now, a couple of things, not great discernment on Joseph's part. Probably should have kept that one to himself. I mean, he's just a little cocky to tell your whole family that you're going to become greater than all of them. And you know what? That cockiness was a little character defect that God would have to work out of him. But that was the word that God gave to Joseph. He was saying to him as a 17-year-old guy, here's my dream for your life. I'm going to raise you up, not only to a position over your brothers and your whole family, but I'm going to raise you up to a place of power over all the nations. And if you know the story, that's eventually what happens. When the most powerful king in the world at that time, the Pharaoh of the nation of Egypt, puts Joseph in charge, and he does rule the nations as a 30-year-old guy. But you know as well as I do, Sometimes this great adventure of hearing from God, this great adventure of him planting dreams in you and discovering God's will for your life can be quite the roller coaster ride, can it? I mean, sometimes you hear the still small voice of God saying to you, here's where I'm leading you. And then in the next breath, you hear him say, and please fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> Keep your arms and legs inside the ride at all times until your ride comes to a complete stop. Ah, you know, right? And that's what we discover in Joseph's life. From age 17 to age 30, the 13 years that fall in between these two events are absolute wild ride years. 
13 years where it might have been possible for Joseph to lose sight of any hope that God even cared about him, much less God had something good in mind for his life. You ever had one of those days? One of those weeks? One of those months? One of those lives? So here's the story. Joseph's brothers, they can't stand him. And some of you know the story how his brothers are way out in the pastures of a place called Dothan. They're tending their sheep and, and Jacob, the dad, sends little brother Joseph on a trip to check on them and take them some much needed supplies. And they see him coming up over the hill and he's wearing his dad likes me better than you jacket. And they're not happy. They're not excited. No one's saying, oh, here he comes. Hey, what's up, little bro? Their hate, their resentment, their jealousy, their rage start to burn within them. And they say, hey, you know what? When, when he gets here, let's just kill him. Let's just kill him. So they devise a plan. They find a pit, this empty cistern that's there. And they say, when he gets here, let's just beat him up and throw him in this pit. And then we'll figure out what we're going to do with him later. We'll just rip the stinking robe off of him. We'll drop his body in this pit. And then we'll go tell dad that some bear, some lion, some wild animal got him on the way here. And dad will never know the difference. We'll just show him the blood-soaked robe. And he'll think he's, he's dead and gone. He'll be history. And you know what? We'll never serve him. And we'll never bow down before him. We won't have to worry about the little guy anymore. He will be gone and out of the picture. And some of y'all think you got sibling rivalry going on in your house. So it happens, Joseph shows up, says, hey guys, got some supplies for you. They said, we got some stuff for you too. And they grab him, boom, rip his robe off. And all of a sudden he is in a pit looking up. Ever had one of those days? Well, his brothers sit down to eat lunch and they're thinking about what they're gonna do to him. And about that time, they see this group of people called the Ishmaelites, this sort of a gypsy band of people moving across the desert in their caravan. And one of the brothers starts to see dollar signs flash before his eyes. He says, time out, guys, 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 I got a great idea. We don't have to kill him. We can just sell him. You ever want to sell your little brother? Be honest, have you ever wanted to? We'll just sell him to these gypsies coming across, coming across the desert. We'll get some cash for him and we can still just take the robe throw some blood on it and show dad the blood soaked robe and he won't know the difference. We'll, we'll just tell him he got tangled up with a mountain lion or something that he died. Dad will never know. And we won't have to live with the guilt of killing our own brother. Plus we'll make some bucks in the process. That's their plan. And all the brothers say, hey, that, that's a plan. So the Ishmaelites come along and these guys sell their little brother for about eight ounces of silver into the hands of these gypsies who go straight into Egypt and put him into a slave auction. In that auction, he is bought by a guy named Potiphar who was the head of security for the Pharaoh of Egypt. Well, this guy Potiphar takes him home and puts him to work. And Joseph is no longer the golden child of the family. This dream he had was not working out exactly as he had pictured, but remember, God's will is much more about who you are, right? Than where you go or what you do. And God was interested in using whatever came Joseph's way to mold him and shape his character. Remember that little cockiness, brashness, character defect he had? As Joseph worked as a servant in Potiphar's house, guess what he learned? He learned humility. Now, as a side note, maybe you were not at your quote unquote uh, dream job right now. 
Maybe God currently has you where you are to shape you and mold you and teach you and refine your character, help teach you patience and perseverance and work ethic, teach you how to get along with difficult people, how to work through relational conflict, how to become a humble leader. And as you read, you will, you will see that while Joseph was not working his dream job, he was faithful, he worked hard, he just did the right thing, he didn't gripe, he didn't complain, he was full of integrity, and in spite of his unforeseen circumstances, he just served knowing that God was with him and that God was doing something in him. And as a result, God used his life, and everything he touched, he was successful in, in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar recognized this and said to Joseph, man, you are so good, you're really honest, you're trustworthy, you know what, I'm putting everything all, all my administrative affairs are going to be in your hands. You've got full run of the house. So here's Joseph. He's doing his thing with character. He's doing a great job. He's being honored by God. Things weren't exactly the way they were back home with his dad, but it was working out okay until Potiphar's wife, you might know the story. She has this thing for Joseph. Now the scripture says that Joseph, it says this, was a well-built handsome hunk of a guy. It, it says that. I did a little word study on the ancient Hebrew word for handsome. It literally translates totally bald with a little gut. It does. Look it up yourself. Well, anyway, she tries to seduce Joseph and she's, she's not a very good person. She tries to seduce Joseph. Now, I, I don't think I can just fly through this right, right now because we have seen so much in recent months. I feel like I gotta just say a little something before we jump into this part of the story. Because there, there have been so many reports of primarily men uh, powering up and, and abusing other people, their position, women. And whenever anybody does that, it damages other people and it breaks the heart of God. And it is so, so wrong. And I just wanna say something because I'm a guy. Men, those of us who follow Jesus, we have to model the dignity and the pricelessness that Jesus attached to women. And I personally know, and I, I personally know, and I, and I stand by many, many brave women through the years who have spoken out and are finally finding the healing that God wants for them. And there really is healing in the truth. In this story, however, the one in power is not Joseph. It's his employer. And because of his authenticity and his heart, he won't give in to her. He thinks, well, Potiphar, like he trusts me. He's given me everything in his house. How could I take his own wife? And he says to her, listen, I, I can't do this and sin against God. Well, she is totally frustrated by that. So one day when nobody else is around, Joseph's inside working inside the house. She grabs his clothes and demands that he sleeps with her. Well, he pulls away and as he does, his shirt or his jacket comes off and he runs out of the house and she's left holding his cloak and begins to scream that this slave had tried to sexually assault her. Well, it makes Potiphar furious and he throws Joseph in jail for attempted rape. Ever had one of those kind of days? Where you're just trying to do the right thing, you're just trying to do the honorable thing and then all of a sudden you find yourself looking through the prison bars of some kind of accusation. But you know what the scripture says? God was with Joseph in that jail. It says it over and over. God was right there with him. Now, I don't know, but maybe God was reminding Joseph, remember, come on, remember the dream. Remember the dream. 
I have a great plan for your life. I got a great vision for you, Joseph. I really am going to take you somewhere. I really am going to do something extraordinary with you. And I'm just guessing that maybe Joseph had a doubt or two and said, yeah, this is great, God. Really love the way you work. Wonderful master plan. Yep, I'm living the dream. Getting beat up by my brothers and thrown in a pit was awesome. That trip to the desert chained up to a bunch of gypsies. Wow, we'll love to rebook that cruise. Being sold as a slave in Potiphar's house. Rape charges for simply trying to honor you. Yeah, this is exactly how I pictured my life turning out, God. Ever had one of those days? One of those weeks? One of those lives? But you know what? After a while, it says the warden of the prison makes Joseph head over the whole jail. You see, in spite of the circumstances, Joseph was just one of those guys who decided, you know what, wherever I'm planted, I'm just going to bloom. And that's what he did because God was so with him and he was so honorable and he was so filled with integrity and so filled with a humble servant spirit that they made him a trustee, kind of inmate number one over the whole prison. Well, Pharaoh, the king, gets real temperamental one day as kings will, and he sends these two guys to jail. His cupbearer, which was kind of his personal butler, and his baker. And I don't know what they did. Maybe the Krispy Kremes were a little stale or water spots on the glass or too much starch in the shorts. I don't know. But, but the king gets ticked at these guys and throws them into prison. And while they're there, the cupbearer and the baker have these dreams. And they start talking to Joseph saying, man, we've been having these crazy vivid dreams. They feel so real. We can't figure them out. That ever happened to you? And Joseph smiles and says, absolutely. Man, I know dreams. I had one when I was 17, that God was gonna make me the ruler of a nation and all my brothers and family were gonna bow down to me. They're probably looking at each other going, okay, so what are you doing here? <laughs> but anyway, they say, well, yeah, well, we've, we've had these dreams too and we don't know what to do with them. And Joseph says, listen, we're not going anywhere, so why don't you go ahead and tell them to me? And they do. Well, Joseph interprets the dreams and says, okay, here's the deal. I don't know how to break it to you. I'm really, really sorry, Mr. Baker, but your dream means it's gonna, this is going to be it for you. Your days are numbered, three to be exact. You're going to be executed. Sorry, dude. Mr. Cupbearer, I've got good news for you. In three days, you're going to be restored to your position with the Pharaoh. And uh, just, one, just one small thing. I, I'm, I'm really not supposed to be here. I've been kidnapped. I've been framed. I've been set up. So when you get back to the palace, the name is Joseph. Could you put in a good word for Joseph? Well, it happens in three days, just as Joseph predicted the baker was history. And in three days, the cupbearer was right back in the throne room of Pharaoh. But guess what he forgot to mention? He forgot Joseph. Ever had one of those days? And for two years, the scripture emphasizes for two full years, Joseph waited in that jail until finally Pharaoh has a couple of dreams. And he gets all stressed out about them, can't figure out what they mean. He can't get an answer from any of the so-called magicians or wise men of his nation. And all of a sudden, the memory of the cupbearer kicks in. He says, wait a minute, your majesty, uh, there, there's this guy that I met in prison a couple of years ago. He was great with dreams. His name was, uh, what was his name? Uh, uh, Jack. Uh, John. No, Joseph, Joseph. His name was Joseph. You ought to bring that guy in. Now, let me just suspend the story right there for a second and say this. 13 years have gone by since he had that dream. 
Not 13 minutes, not 13 days, not 13 months, 13 years. And in every one of those 4,745 days, I think Joseph could have been limited by that little snapshot of what he saw in his circumstances and lost total hope that there was a loving God who really did have a big dream for his life. And I don't know, maybe you're in the middle of one of those 13 year seasons. I just wanna remind you that God sees the whole picture. He has a bigger canvas in his mind and whatever we're able to see is just a little snapshot of what fits into the plan that God is lovingly unfolding for our lives. God really does have a hope and a future and a big dream for your life. But gang, I have to add this disclaimer. His dreams for us don't necessarily look like the American dream. You see, here's what we have a tendency to do. At least I have a tendency to do this. We let our culture paint a picture of what the dream life looks like. And we set our canvas up in front of God and say, God, as long as your plan for me and this picture matches up, I'm cool with following you. I mean, with no variance whatsoever. As long as my life looks exactly like this, including granite countertops, stainless steel appliances, and perfect health, I will let you lead my life. And somewhere along the way, God's trying to say, excuse me, you call that letting me lead your life? You call that following my voice? You call that trusting me for a hope and a future? And did I say somewhere that the reason I created men and women was to live in America and have all the things that make them comfortable in this world? Did I say somewhere that everybody would always experience a pain-free, trouble-free, bliss-filled existence where you would always get ahead in this world's terms? Or did I actually say that I just want every person to burn with passion for me and my purposes? and to trust me as their good, good father, to allow me to put them on the potter's wheel and mold them into the person I want them to be and to follow my voice knowing that my ways are higher and my thoughts are higher and my view of life is much better. My dream for you is that you would choose joy no matter what your circumstances are in this sometimes difficult life. My dream for you is to lean into my presence and my peace every single day. My dream for you is to live grateful lives that are molded into the image of Jesus Christ and to make an eternal difference with your one and only life wherever I lead you. And I've learned from looking at the life of Joseph over and over, God is far more interested in my character than he is my comfort far more interested in my character than he is my comfort. And gang, until we start thinking that way, we're going to miss his dream for our life because we've set our canvas of our dreams up before God and say, God, they have to look like this in order for them to be your dream for me. And the life of Joseph says, no, it doesn't. I'll use whatever this sometimes unfair life throws at you to shape you and mold you and chisel you and and make you into the person I know you can be. And I will lead you where you need to be. You can trust in that. And in the process, you can trust me. See, God is always with you. He's always working in you. And he's always working in the dark where we can't see. You see what Joseph could have easily done at any of these stops along the way? He could have said, well, I guess God was A, wrong. Uh, B, God changed his mind, or C, I did something wrong and really got ticked off, so I got bumped off the master plan track, or D, maybe the dream was just like too much Taco Bell late at night. But Joseph doesn't do that. He's continually submitted himself to God. And I think I know why, because repeatedly in the text, it says over and over, God was with him. God was with him in Potiphar's house. God was with him in that jail. 
God was with him. And I think the whole time he was remembering that God was at work, even in the dark. You see, gang, when it gets dark, God doesn't go to bed. God doesn't go to sleep. God doesn't need a rest. God doesn't take naps. He doesn't need a double espresso shot in the morning. Doesn't need a Red Bull in the afternoon to keep him going. Let's read out loud together what the scripture actually says about God who gives us these dreams. Uh, Psalm 121 verse four and five. Let's read it together from the screens. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never tires and never sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. That reminds us that when our bodies flop in bed tonight because we are exhausted, when we close our eyes to rest, the inexhaustible God will be up all night long working out the details of our promised hope and future 24 seven, 365. That's what he does. When Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, God's plan was still moving ahead. When he was in Potiphar's house, God wasn't caught off guard by all that. When he was falsely accused and arrested and thrown in prison, God's dream wasn't derailed. When when he was forgotten by the cupbearer, he was not forgotten by God. And as Joseph continued to wait in that jail, as the two years passed, day after day after day, the at work in the dark God was timing the events of his life until just at the right moment, Pharaoh has a dream. And in one 24-hour period, one day, God would move Joseph from the jail to the second most powerful position in the nation. Christian Rieger spent four years in a very dark place, infamous concentration camp in Dachau, Germany. He was imprisoned there by the Nazis from 1941 to 1945, and his crime was simply being a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And he wrote this, Nietzsche said that a man can undergo torture if he knows the why of his life. But here at Dachau, I learned something far greater. I learned to know the who of my life. He was enough to sustain me then. He's enough to sustain me still. Listen to me, listen to the life of Joseph. God has not abandoned you. He has not forgotten you. He is the who of your life. He's working behind the scenes in whatever your dungeon experience, your 13 year season is right now. He is committed to working all things together for your good to those who love him. You can trust him. He is with you in the dark. And as we sang, he makes the darkness tremble. One last principle. God's plan, his dream is to have the right person in the right place for his right purposes. That's always God's plan, to have his person in his place for his purposes. Remember, God's will is much more about who we are than where we go or what we do. But it is so cool when the who we are and where we go and what we do all kind of comes together, isn't it? Isn't it such an awesome feeling to step back from a moment and realize that you were that person? You go, oh my goodness. I think that this was a divine appointment. I did not see that coming, but I was supposed to be here today. I was supposed to run into that person at the gym today. I was supposed to be sitting across from that person in the lunchroom today. It was so weird that I was next to that person in the checkout line. It was so weird how my story and their story intersected. It was amazing that God would use a person like me to bring hope to a total stranger today. I really feel like I was the right person at the right time being used for God's right purposes. You ever felt that? Feels awesome, doesn't it? That's always God's plan. I have a picture uh, like this one hanging up in my office. Uh, my daughter uh, took a picture of an old-fashioned water pump, and I, 
hung it up in my office uh, to remind me of this experience. Uh, I, I'm not, uh, you know, like I said, I'm not into the whole cryptic figure out the dream thing, but I do think God sometimes gives us a vision. Sometimes he speaks to us that way. Um, I had just resigned uh, from a church that I loved with all my heart because I felt like God was asking me to make a tough move to go help a church transition. And I knew it was gonna be a difficult job, but everything in my life, it kind of pointed to the fact that that's what I was supposed to do. And you know, sometimes God speaks to us through the converging of circumstances. And uh, I felt like that was what was happening. So I made the tough decision to resign to a place that I love with all of my heart. And it ripped me up inside. But I felt like, okay, God, I'm just trying to be obedient. You know, I never wanna be like Jonah who ran the other direction. I wanna be, okay, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. When I was 18 years old, I said that, and I'm still saying that, God. I wanna go where you want me to go. So I decided to leave and and go help a church in Chicago, and I'm sitting in the, I was in in Lexington, Kentucky. I was sitting in the airport the day after I'd resigned, and I was was depressed. I was broken inside. It just broke my heart to leave. I'm sitting there to go to Chicago for for a meeting, and this guy sits down next to me in the airport. And I'm reading a paper. Remember when you had paper to read? I, was, I wasn't scrolling my phone or anything. I was reading an actual paper. Uh, and I'm reading a paper and the guy goes, any good news in there? I go, oh, you know, man, not much. He goes, where are you headed? I said, Chicago. I said, where are you headed? He goes, Oslo, Norway. And this guy starts talking like 100 miles an hour. He goes, yeah, I said, I'm a racetrack chaplain and I've been working here in Kentucky, kind of the horse capital of the world. And I love working with the people on the racetracks because people on the racetracks, they've had a really hard time back in the stables and stuff. People have had a hard life. So I'm there trying to help them. I'm going to Oslo, Norway because I feel like God wants me to go there because there's a horse industry there. Maybe he can open some doors for me. He's just talking like that as fast as he could go. He goes, I don't know whether you're a Christian or not, but this is what I do. I kind of listen to God. I go where God wants me to go. And I'm going, okay. And I'm, I'm just really down because I'm trying to do what God asked me to do too and something I didn't really want to do. And so we get on the plane and, and, I, and we're making our final descent into Chicago. And this guy is sitting across the aisle from me, just one seat back. He reaches up and grabs my arm and says, excuse me, I don't know who you are and why you're going to Chicago, but I just had a vision about you. I think, oh great, this rates crack guy is just... <laughs> having whacked out visions about me. He goes, I, I don't know, man. So I, I just had a vision of you standing behind an old fashioned water pump and thousands of people lined up with empty cups. He goes, I don't know what that means, but I just want to give it to you. I got goosebumps all over my body. As if God was saying, that's why I'm asking you to go. People need living water there. And I got to tell you, the next five years was not an easy thing but I felt like the right person at the right place at the right time being used for God's right purposes. That dream, that vision at times just kept me pumping that handle even when it got difficult. Now, not always and really not often, but I think sometimes God gives you a vision, gives you a dream, gives you a picture, gives you a word to encourage you, gives you a word to comfort you, to challenge you, to move you, to inspire you, to correct you or direct you. All right, you got to hear the rest of the story because it's just too cool. The Pharaoh has these two dreams. So he brings in Joseph, the guy the cupbearer recommended from prison to interpret these dreams for him. And Joseph pretty much tells him, it's beyond my personal power to do this, but God will reveal to you what these dreams mean. So Pharaoh goes through the dreams and Joseph says, here's the deal, sir. 
Uh, your dreams mean it's going to get really, really bad around here. We're going to have like seven years of plenty. I mean, some major heavy duty bumper crops, but then the bubble is going to absolutely burst and we're going to go through seven years of absolutely nothing. Big time drought is on the way. And Pharaoh, if you're really, really smart, you will put in excess this in storage during the seven years of plenty. So that when the famine does hit, and I'm telling you, it's going to hit, the nation will have enough to survive because I'm telling you, sir, it really is coming. And Pharaoh says, wow, you are no ordinary Joe. Sorry, it was stupid. You're, you're pretty sharp. God is with you. Even a pagan king recognized God is with you. I'm putting you in charge of the whole storage process. In fact, I will be the only one in all of Egypt with a higher rank than you. So for seven years, Egypt got real discipline, stored away the excess, and just like the dream foretold, major famine came upon the land, seven years of famine, and you know what? Nobody in the land had any food except for Egypt. And you know who was in charge of all the food in Egypt? Joseph. And guess who comes to Egypt looking for some food for their family? Yeah, Joseph's brothers. And you know who ultimately came? The whole family. And it says they came not recognizing Joseph and they bowed down before him. I was surfing channels the other night and came upon an old Clint Eastwood movie, High Plains Drifter, you ever seen it? But this marshal who comes back to this town seeking revenge and he picks off these evil guys one at a time. Now, if, I'm just being honest. If I'm Joseph, I probably got a little Clint Eastwood justice thing going on inside of me right now. I see my brothers walk up thinking, well, 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 look who's here. You traveled such a long way. Allow me to show you to your deluxe accommodations. How do individual pits sound for each one of you? Or maybe you like a nice long six-month ride with some smelly gypsies. Hey, I know this guy named Potiphar, great house, evil wife, love for you to meet her. <laughs> but look at this scene. In this scene, Joseph reveals his identity, but also his godly character and his understanding of God's dream for his life. He says, I'm Joseph. Is my, is my father still alive? And I think this next phrase is, huge understatement, but his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Come over, he said. So they came, inched closer. He said again, I'm Joseph. Remember me, your brother, who you sold into Egypt. Now, you know, in this moment, they had to be freaking out because as he's speaking in their mind, they're hearing, I'm your brother who you never thought you'd see again. And I'm ruling Egypt these days and therefore in control of your destiny. Right now, I am your absolute worst nightmare. But look at what he says. Don't be angry with yourselves that you did this to me. For God did it. He sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. These two years of famine will grow to seven during which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me here to keep you and your families alive so that you will become a great nation. Yes, it was God who sent me here, not you. This is so cool. Here's Joseph saying, listen, look, I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter about you and me in the pit. I'm not seeking revenge for being sold to gypsies, bottles of slave, abandoned in prison. As far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. Now to be sure, it was a, now to be sure, it was a wild 13-year roller coaster ride. But you know what? God was with me. And he's been working on my character. Guys, you need to know, I'm not the same cocky 17-year-old kid who bragged about his dream. God has used everything I've been through 
to make me into the right kind of person. So then the day of the famine, the right person would be in the right place at the right time to accomplish the right purposes of God. And you know what's cool? And here's what's really cool. The immediate purposes were to feed the nations for seven years, but the greater purpose was to preserve the promise of Abraham, to preserve the sons of Jacob so that they could become the nation of Israel for the purposes of God, for the birth of Jesus Christ, for the salvation of the world, for you and me to be sitting here forgiven and free. It was crucial that Joseph be on the throne in Egypt that day. And sometimes God says, I love it when a plan comes together. You know, I love the story of Joseph because whenever I have one of those days, one of those weeks, one of those months, one of those 13 year seasons and go, God, I don't get it. This is not the dream I had in my mind. This feels like the whole thing's coming unraveled around me. This is not the picture I had. I can say, you know what, God, I, I, I can't make any sense of this, but I know you have a better view and I know you have a bigger wisdom and I know you've got a deeper love and I know you're working in the dark on my behalf. So I'm just gonna trust you and keep my eyes on you and however you wanna use me. My life's in your hands. You see, gang, God holds so much more for your life than you can currently see. His dreams, his dreams are so big for you. So just like Joseph, just daily surrender to God. Be honorable in whatever circumstances you're currently in, no matter how hard they are. Chase the dreams he places within you. Listen to his Holy Spirit giving you direction every day and let him lead you. Don't lose hope in the God who never sleeps. And if you do that, you can crawl into bed at the close of this day. And you can say, I may not know all the specifics, but it feels really, really good to be in the hands of the one who does. The one who created everything. The one who chose me as his own. The God who planted a dream in me. I may not understand everything about where he's leading me, but this much I do know. If the wind goes where, it tell, where he tells it to go, so will I. I will trust him and I will worship him with all that I have. Yeah, let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for your leadership in our life. I thank you for the way you speak to us. And there's so many uh, ways that you do uh, speak, God. And I, and I thank you for the mysterious way. Sometimes you just plant these dreams in our heart. Sometimes you, you do it when we're asleep. Sometimes you do it when we're wide awake, but you're constantly trying to get our attention. You do it all day long. Your Holy Spirit speaks to us throughout the day saying, go here, go there. Walk over, say something to that guy. Give that person 20 bucks. Write that person a note. Send that person a text. I mean, your Holy Spirit speaks to us all day long. And God, I thank you for the, for the dream that was planted in a special couple that said, we, we, we gotta start something in, in North Carolina. And I thank you for the, for the way this church is living out your dream for this state and, and the world. And I'm so grateful for the way you, you operate here, God. And we wanna be people that are always conscious of you speaking to us and leading us. And we just wanna do whatever you want us to do. We wanna become the right kind of person, first and foremost, so that wherever you lead us, we'll just be the right kind of person in that right place being used for your purposes. Thanks for the story of Joseph to remind us that you do speak. God, wherever you, wherever you send us, we're ready to go. 
And we worship you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name I pray.